Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you, friends and family. And we could be in a range of different places this this time of the day on a Sunday. Especially as someone who was really into football before I got saved. Lots of things you can be doing on, is it Super Sunday? (laughs) Amen. But it's good that we're here together um, in the presence of the Lord. I'm going to take an opportunity to pray before we get started. Father, thank you again for your amazing grace. Thank you. We, we desire it, Lord, and we, and we desperately need it. Lord, would you pour out your grace upon us today, Lord, maybe even in ways that we may not necessarily be able to quantify. But Lord, could it be that because you meet with us, here because of the Lord Jesus and by your spirit Lord that that things after this point wouldn't be the same in our lives Lord um, for your glory and it's in Jesus name we pray Amen Amen Welcome everyone again ah, Today is an interesting day <clears throat> apart from being the first of February We're starting a new book, a new series, and we're going to be doing the book of John. Today is an overview of the book. Next week, we'll be doing an introduction to the book. We'll pass the evil, as I mentioned in a minute. And um, it's a new day, man. And we thank the Lord for that. Now, recently, we've seen a number of Hollywood films um, been produced, right? That are biblical in name, but not in nature. Um, The release of Noah, with one of my favorite actors, at least in Gladiator anyway. Um, Russell Crowe. But how many of you know that that Noah film wasn't really faithful to the Bible? And and then, how about this? the, the new one that's come out just quite recently? Is it Gods and Kings? With Christian Bale? Again... Hollywood blockbuster, but not really faithfully representing the Bible's truth, right? The biblical in part, but they're not faithfully representing the Bible. And, and, we, and we don't necessarily expect that non-Christian script writers, non-Christian directors and producers are necessarily going to be faithful to the Bible, right? I mean, that's, that shouldn't be a, a surprise to us. But a question needs to be asked, if they're not doing it, where do we go in order to see the the Bible faithfully represented. Well, we have to go to the Bible itself, right? Sounds like a a good place to go. And if you know, the Bible is a collection of 66 books that range from one page, a one-page book within the collection of books, to literal books within the great book of the Bible. You've got... You've got some books that are one page like Obadiah and Jude um, to literally small books in themselves like Isaiah with 66 chapters and then Acts with 28 chapters. There are approximately a total of 40 different authors that have contributed um, to the writing of the Bible, human authors. Some authors have, have written multiple books, like Moses, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all ascribed to Moses. Moses wrote Psalm 90 or 91. You've got David who wrote a multiplicity of the Psalms. Our current book, well, is one that's, that, that, that's authored by an individual that actually has written five books. And we'll come back to that. Some authors have I've only written one book, like Isaiah or Obadiah, as I mentioned earlier, and James and, and Jude. Now, among the different types of books, um, there are different genres with reference to those books. They fall into different categories. So you've got historical narrative, 
which is basically story form, if you like. And so books like Genesis and Exodus and the book of Acts, it's narrative, historical narratives, story that has taken place in the past. You've got poetry, like what? What books would fall into the category of poetry? Just give me one. Psalms. You've got wisdom literature. How about that? Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Then you've got prophetic literature. Right? Beg your pardon? Ezekiel, Daniel. All right. Then you've got the book of Revelation, which also is apocalyptic literature. And I'm saying, talking about stuff that's going to happen in the apocalypse or stuff that's going to happen towards the end. Because not all prophecy is, is end times prophecy, right? So, different genres. So, these books within the Bible contain a, a multiplicity of, of topics. But we would always argue that fundamentally the whole Bible is about what? Thank you. I should have said who, right? But I didn't want to, just in case you'd be like, oh, maybe it's about love or maybe it's about... It's really about a person. It's all about Jesus. And you can see that um, referenced in Luke chapter 24 from the lips of Jesus himself. We've mentioned it quite a number of times. The New Testament, if you like, speaks about Jesus explicitly. It's quite clear. Where the Old Testament tends to speak more about Jesus more implicitly. So Genesis 22, right? Where Abraham takes his son up to sacrifice him. An implicit reference to Jesus. Exodus 12, you've got the Passover lamb. Reference to Jesus. Psalm 22 References what? The first verse of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The crucifixion. It's all about Jesus. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. How about Ruth? We just finished the book of Ruth a couple of weeks ago, right? Ruth is about, about the kinsman redeemer. It's not so much about Boaz as much as it's about the Lord Jesus. Amen. You've got the tabernacle, the temple, the high priest in the Old Testament, the judges like Rich and Ben are going through at the moment. After service, you've got <clears throat> judges who are saviors, you've got the kings, you've got sacrifices. All of this is, 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 is typology that points to Christ. The whole of the Bible is about Jesus. And it's been said that Jesus is in the Old Testament concealed, but he's in the New Testament revealed. Which brings us to a genre that I didn't mention, which is the Gospels, where we see Jesus clearly revealed right and the gospel's a narrative that is this story form but it's narrative with a difference the four gospels speak very directly about jesus not just as a story but a story about a person therefore you could call them a a bib a, a, a i was going to say a biological a biographical narrative right because a biography about a person and where with regular people, they might come out with one biography. Some people are brazen enough to want to write their own autobiography. But with Jesus, wow, he's got four biographies. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So question, one, one of the questions we have to ask is, so, like, why are there four Gospels? <laughs> well, each of the four Gospels, they present Jesus Christ from a different point of emphasis. Matthew, being a Levite, he emphasizes Jesus as the Messiah or the anointed king. Because that's what Messiah means. It's the same as Christ. It means the anointed one. And he's from the tribe of Judah. Huh. With reference to Jesus, Matthew's genealogy, it begins with the first Jew. Hey, who's that? Well, he wasn't a Jew originally. Remember, he was an Iraqi. Because he came from Ur of the Chaldees, which is ancient Babylon, modern-day Iraq. Abraham, first Jew. That's who Matthew starts with. And follows the, the royal line of David to the legal father of Jesus, stepfather, right? Joseph. And he sp and speaks particularly of Jesus, this does, with a Jewish emphasis to a Jewish audience. Matthew's emphasis is on the fulfillment of the prophecies in the Old Testament as they relate to Jesus. Mark. Well, Mark is short and sweet, right? He emphasizes Jesus as the obedient servant. The servant. He is 
The only gospel with no concern for pedigree or genealogy. He focuses on what Jesus did. And he moves very quickly. It's, it's the shortest of the, of the four gospels, 16 chapters, quote unquote. How about Luke? Well, what was distinctive about Luke in comparison to all of the Bible writers? Luke was a Gentile. Luke is the only non-Jewish writer in scripture. Luke, he also was a doctor. And his gospel reflects a very distinctive point of view, emphasizing um, Jesus as the son of man. Luke's really wanting to keep things down to earth. And if you like, he's trying to explain the humanity of Jesus. And his genealogy begins with, if you're going to talk about humanity, who would you start with? Adam. From Abraham to David, from Adam. His list is identical to that of Matthew. However, when he gets to David, he doesn't track through David, then Solomon, Rehoboam, and so on. What he does, he goes for a different son of David, and that's Nathan. And he continues through all the way to Heli, who's the father of who in the New Testament, for you scholars? Mary. Jesus' genealogy actually goes down through Joseph and through Mary. And why? Well, Luke's angle is humanity. Luke, his angle on Jesus is his concern for women. That's why he will highlight Mary's line, if you like. His concern is for the marginalized. His concern is for the non-Jew. I mean, because he's a, he's a, Jew, he's a, he's a non-Jew. He's a Gentile himself, right? As a Gentile writer, Luke, emphas- Luke emphasizes Christ's humanity. Which then leaves the last of the four, which is John. John has a, now, in comparison to the others, John has a very distinctive view emphasizing Jesus as they all do as a man yes but not just a man he describes Jesus more he in he 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 displays Jesus importantly as God but be careful how you term this stuff and it passed to you <laughs> not just a man but also God. He focuses on who Jesus was, or really what we ought to say is he focuses on who Jesus is, because Jesus was, and he is, and he is to come, right? He focuses on on who Jesus was, and his genealogy is that of the pre-existent one. He doesn't His gospel is organized around seven signs, seven discourses, and seven I am statements, conveying the reality of Christ's deity and divinity, not just as the Son of God. He also wants us to understand that he is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. Hence the the title for our series, and I hesitate to put this up, which we've... (laughs) Only because we've been deliberating, me and Pastor E, for the past couple of weeks. And we even drew in the guys who are going to also be teaching this with us. And <laughs> we were at a wedding yesterday. And the final decision had to be made, in it? And everyone's mash up, including me, mash up. And I never spoke to, no, I ain't spoke to nobody <laughs> since last night. So I have to ask the fellas to forgive me. It is actually one that we considered as an option for the title for the book and i'll have to ask you lot to forgive forgive me and you know if if the if if the guys feel like nah rob we need to change it then we can change it next week because this is an overview pastor he's doing the introduction and if anything we can just delete this mp3 <laughs> we can just delete this one right but uh, it's long now isn't it all right get to it all right so hence the title of our series remember we're talking about jesus who is the god man Right at the title for our series, I'm I'm gonna suggest is <laughs> is Superman HD. Superman H Superman 
And we don't want to de-emphasize either of the two. Super, now, you'd be forgiven for thinking, no, you wouldn't be forgiven for thinking that we're talking about Clark Kent, Clark Kent, right? But you might be forgiven, you might be forgiven, <sighs> mash up, <laughs> mash up. But you might be forgiven for assuming that the HD may stand for high definition. Because you'd be like, yeah, fair enough, that works. You know, Jesus, you know, he really kind of redefines who Superman is. Yeah, high definition. But then, through our course of texting and considering and thinking and praying, we took it to another level. Hey, how about, how about, how about, how about Superman high, highest definition? Actually, tell a lie. It should have been higher definition. High definition, higher definition. And the, the, the definition really breaks down because now they've got something that's better than high definition. It's 4K, better than high definition. But for the purpose of the high, higher definition is even better. But how about highest definition? Does that work? Well, Pastor E knocked the ball out of the park. I can't lie. Because... He was like, wait a minute, HD? Highest definition works, but how about human and divine? H, H for human, D for divine. I think that's even better. <laughs> Incorporating the 100% humanity of Christ with the 100% divinity of Christ. He is the ultimate superman in HD. Now, again, in terms of the humanity and the divinity of Christ, um, Pastor E will kind of really begin to tackle that, looking at just one verse next week, chapter 1, verse 1. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, they're all very similar, where John is very distinct. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are commonly referred to as what? The, 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 The synoptic gospels. Synoptic. What does, <clears throat> what does synoptic mean? Well, it's actually two words taken together, sin and optic, right? And as I say it in that way, it begins to make a little bit of sense. So, so sin means taken together. It's where we get our word synergy or synthesis or synthetic, right? Because synthetic fibers are different ones. Some, it's different things brought together. And optic simply means to see. So synoptic means to see a combination of related things taken together. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These three relate together, yet John is distinct. And it's not, <coughs> excuse me, it's, John isn't what you would term synoptic. Because there's nothing about the birth of Christ, nothing about the early life of Christ, the baptism of Christ, the genealogy of Christ, the temptation of Christ, his travels, the transfiguration, his ascension, no parables. Very, very different. He has signs specifically as opposed to parables. Same thing but different reference for a different reason. He has very, 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 very lengthy monologues as opposed to short statements Half of the book of John is one week of Jesus' life. Half the book is just, one, is just seven days. Very, very distinct. Also, John, unlike the others, he goes all the way back. He, go, he doesn't start at John the Baptist. He goes further back. He doesn't even go as far back to, as, to, as to Abraham. He doesn't even go far back as to Adam. He goes back way before then. He goes beyond Adam all the way back into eternity past. In the beginning, he says, the very beginning, which is, there's a lot to say about that. In the beginning was the word. Verse 14 of chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He identifies Jesus as the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, God the Almighty, and I'm referencing one of his other books. Where's that come from? 
the book of Revelation, also written by John. Arguably, the four Gospels could be described also, if you like, in pictures. So listen to the stark distinction. Matthew, who do we say Matthew um, shows Jesus to be? The lion of the tribe of Judah. The light. Where do you think Lion King comes from? Hey, Matthew. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Mark. Mark pictures Jesus as the servant. So the picture is what? The ox. The ox. Because it's it's a classic emblem of servanthood, right? Luke, his emblem of Jesus is the face of a man. Right? Because he's talking about his humanity. And John distinctly has Jesus depicted, it could be argued, as the eagle. The eagle that flies in the heavens. Descriptive of the heavenly nature of Jesus. It's taken loosely from Ezekiel chapter 1. The lion, the ox, and the man, notice, are all of the earth. (laughs) Unlike the eagle. The eagle inhabits the heavens, as it were. Another, an, a, another point of distinction. 59% of Luke <clears throat> is unique. Matthew, only 42% of his book is unique. Mark, only 7% of Mark is unique. It's all found in the other Gospels. John, on the other hand... of the book of John is material that's not found in any of the other three synoptic gospels. No doubt, John is complementary, but is extensively supplementary. He's different, he's distinct. Okay, well, how about the author? Well, John comes from a family that had multiple members follow Jesus. His brother is who? James, thank you. James and James and John together are known as, remember Jesus gave them a name. Uh, I was waiting for the King James Version readers, the King James only. Where's Harry? Jeez. What? what? Sons of, sons of lightnings. Boanerges. Sons of thunder. Yeah, amen. (laughs) Same thing. Because remember, they tried to call down fire from heaven and Jesus was like, no, no, it don't work like that. John's mother, Salome, served Jesus in Galilee. And right from the beginning, she was there. And then right at the crucifixion, she's there. His mother. Remember, John's, you've got got Jesus' mother on one side, you've got John's mother on the other. And remember, Jesus says, John, will you take care of my mother? Um, so they were both, they were both standing there. <clears throat> John, this author, was one of the original twelve disciples of Jesus. Unlike Luke and Mark, you have to mention this sometimes because most people get the impression that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—they're all apostles, they're all disciples of Jesus. They weren't. Um, as we said, Luke, he collected and gathered his information for his gospel based on research. And then where did Mark get his information from? He got it from Peter. John was part of the inner circle along with Peter and James. Really close to Jesus. John particularly. And because of that reason, because he was the closest, he doesn't refer to himself in his book as John. But he refers to himself how? As the one that Jesus loved. The one that Jesus loved. See that in John 13. <clears throat> Over 60 times we see the word love mentioned in this book. 45 times we see the word truth mentioned in this book. And <clears throat> I think there are over 100 references to the word believe in different forms and fashion in this book. The apostle, if you like, of truth, of faith, and of love. These are very significant themes in this, le- in, in this, in this letter. <clears throat> now, this gospel is written um, later than the other three. Hence, it's, it's difference. 
I mean, if he's going to write a letter, right, why write everything that everyone's already written? And <coughs> part of the reason when it was written about between 70 and 90 AD, there's differences of, opin of opinion on it. Some date it later, some date it a little bit earlier. Um, <coughs> but one of the reasons John wrote this letter was to help Christians to evangelize. Why? Because at that time, obviously, Jesus had, had, had died, you know what I'm saying, 40, 50 years previously. Many people had been converted, but many people hadn't met Jesus, hadn't seen Jesus. And how many of you know, they couldn't go to COC. Is COC still open? Or Wesley Owen and go buy, a, buy a, like an NIV Bible. They couldn't do that. There were no Bibles in that sense. You know what I'm saying? So it was important that people understood who Jesus was. And John takes it as, as, as important in order for, for, for individuals to have clarity on who he was to write his gospel. So as well as the other Gospels, John answers the question, who is Jesus? Many Jews and Gentiles were asking this question. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John seek to answer this. And I remember, you know, people are still asking that same question today. Hopefully you, you can already begin to see the benefit of studying this book at length. Now this series, talking about length, is going to take us up to... April 2016. I ain't trying to wish our lives away, right, by mentioning them far away dates. <laughs> but it's not really that far away. Um, <clears throat> and we are going to conclude um, in, in April. And just before we conclude, it's just beautiful how it kind of worked out. Easter 2016, we will be in chapter 20, which talks about the resurrection. And... So just to give you a heads up in terms of the length. Now, Augustine made a quote with reference to, to this book. Apparently, Augustine, there's, 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 you know, it's, it's debatable as to whether or not it was him. But apparently, he said, or it has been said, that the Gospel of John is shallow enough for a child to paddle in, yet deep enough for an elephant to drown in. The Gospel of John is shallow enough for a child to paddle in, yet deep enough for an elephant to drown in. Really helpful. Because on, in, in one sense it seems really simple, but on an, in another sense it's very deep and profound. And by God's grace, we're going to take the time to, to explore that. <clears throat> another thing not to be overlooked is that this is a Gospel. The word Gospel means good news. There's good news in this book. This is the good news about Jesus Christ, who he is, what he did, and why. Jesus is God who became a man. He lived a perfect and sinless life. And on that basis, he became the substitute for sinful human beings in order that we might be reconciled, in order that we might be brought into relationship with God. This is good news for those who rightly deserve judgment. The good news about Jesus, the Gospel of John, the definition of the real superman who is human yet divine. Now, I've given you some, <clears throat> some general points that relate to this book. Let's look a little more carefully at some definitive specifics as referenced internally in this book. One of the most important things to do when, when, um, when trying to understand a book of the Bible is to identify the purpose of writing. The purpose of writing. Why did the author write the book? Once this is established, um, which is is very difficult with some books. Um, <clears throat> once this is, 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 is established, it provides a real clear focus. John is unique in that he makes this explicitly clear. And um, in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, we have the ASP, if you like, the author's stated purpose. Now, <clears throat> I'm not going to put the, the verses up. Uh, I'm just going to read them. And if you're quick, you can join me. But if not, you can listen back to the MP3 or not, as the case may be. John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31. 
is the author's stated purpose. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. Many other things that I'm not going to contain, he says. And he says, you know, there's so many of them anyway. If they, if, which, if they were written, the books in the world couldn't contain them. He says, and they're not written in, these book, in this book, but these are written. Here's the purpose, verse 31. These, the things contained in here are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, this is very helpful because it gives us a framework upon which we can hang everything that's mentioned in the book. Because, I mean, how you, gonna, you, you, you might want to debate with me about, mm, I'm not really sure about what you said there, Rob. I'm not sure what you said. But you can't debate this. The, the, he says specifically and explicitly, this is the reason why he, you have the book of John in your lap. He says, so that you may believe, one, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, two, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Now, under those three headings, um, I'm just going to try to pull out a few things. First of all, do you believe? And the references to belief in John, more, more often than not, are the word believe. Not believed, even though it's there. But believe, because you know, believe is present continuous tense. It's not did you believe like 10 years ago when you got saved. Or did you even believe yesterday. It's do you believe present tense. People often say, you know, I believe in God. Yeah, yeah, man, I believe in God. Maybe Mikey P and, and Byron when they went out on Saturday and whoever may have joined them. You know, come across people and say, you believe in God? Yeah, man, I believe, yeah, man, I believe in God. Like, yeah, I believe in God. You know what I mean? And who knows what they're carrying in their pockets or got in their jacket. Who knows? You know what I mean? Who knows what they were up to last night or what they're aiming to do. Maybe even right there and then in Lewisham Shopping Centre. Where, where, like, where are you going right now? Who knows? Loads of people say that they, that they believe, right? But you see, but is there any evidence to support that belief? Is there any evidence to support that belief? It's been said, if you were in court being examined for claiming to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? John chapter 8 verse 31 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my it's like, I hear you. But you know what? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. John 3 verse 16 in the Amplified, I see Dean nodding because it's something that we talked about quite consistently and extensively. John chapter 3 verse 16 from the Amplified version says, for God so loved the world, sorry, automatic, for God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten unique son so that whoever believes in, trusts in, clings to and relies on. Hey, that's a different, Bridget, is that, when you say, yeah, man, I believe in God. Are you trusting in, clinging to, relying on, depending on? Then it'd be like, oh, I'm not sure. I've got a kind of belief, but I'm not sure my belief qualifies in those terms. Say, him, that person shall not perish or come to destruction and be lost, but have eternal, everlasting life. That's the kind of belief John's talking about. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you, if you love me, not if you say you believe in me, that's nice. But further to that, if you love me, you will do what? You will keep my commandments. Now, the temptation is to try and unpack and talk about all of this stuff. This is a whistle-stop tour through the text because it's an overview. If you like, do not think you love Jesus because you may agree with him. But don't abide in him or don't obey him. On the other hand, believing is also that which is the only acceptable currency for salvation. Believing. John chapter 6 verse 28 to 29 says, Then they said to him, 
What must we do to be doing the works of God? It's a good question, right? And you can think, go to church, read my Bible, pray, tithe, give. You know, I mean, not, not that the two are different in a sense. Um, all of the stuff that you know, people tend to do as believers. But he says, you want to work the works of God? Yeah, what do we do to work the works of God? Verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's how you work the works of God and it's actually believing in him that leads to the works. The works are a byproduct of believing in him or a byproduct of our faith. Belief comes up over 60 times in this book. A part of John's purpose for writing <clears throat> is also to help his listeners believe. To help his listeners believe. There are seven signs. I mentioned it earlier, right? Not stated as miracles, but as signs. One, Jesus' first miracle, what does he do? Chapter two, he turns water into wine. Chapter four, he heals the sick. In chapter five, he heals on the Sabbath. Chapter six, he feeds the multitudes. Chapter six, a little bit later, he walks on water. Then he heals the blind in chapter 9. He raises the dead in chapter 11. And then the ultimate sign. He's raised from the dead. Just, just to seal it. Then constantly throughout this book. John actually says stuff on the surface. That doesn't actually. There's stuff he puts in these signs. To help us to believe. But then there's stuff he puts in there. That actually doesn't help me very much. Actually messes me up. Like, I mean, Jesus got like these mind-bending statements. And this is the stuff that will drown the elephant, right? He says, destroy this temple. And, I will, and, and he's standing by the temple and it all looking. Destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. You're like, what? You're like, what? John chapter 3. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Like, What? John chapter 3, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. Now we look back, because we got hindsight. Everyone's Einstein with hindsight. We look back and we know what that means. But to, the, but to the hearer, in the same way that the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. Like, what? Jesus, John 4, if, to the woman at the world, if you knew who I was, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Be like, huh? Say what? What was one of I.O. statements yesterday that we heard at the wedding? Say what? I don't know. Say what? I don't know. American Nigerian. John chapter, forgive me, I.O. John chapter, forgive me, Lord. John chapter 6. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. What? We're going to take a look at those. So that's the first heading. If you like, <clears throat> believe. A second heading, the Son of God. The Christ, the Son of God, Jesus. As opposed to sons of God. I found this really helpful. I hope it helps you. Sons of God. You see sons of God, the term used quite extensively throughout the Bible. And apparently, fundamentally, it's a term that makes reference to authority. You know what I mean? Authority. So, angels are referenced as the sons of God. Genesis chapter 6. And in Job chapter 1, when they come before God, right? Israel, in Deuteronomy 29, is referenced as God's sons. Matthew chapter 5. You ever heard that in, in reference in the New Testament? That says, blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because they will be known as the children of God, as the sons of God. And then Christians specifically are referenced as sons of God in Romans chapter 8 and in Galatians chapter 3. <clears throat> sons of God are led by the Spirit of God, Romans 8. But the reference to Jesus as a son is different and distinct. See, it's the definite article, son of God. The Son of God. John chapter 3 verse 18 says, Whoever believes in him 
is not condemned. It's good to believe in him. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See the distinction. Again, John 3.16, we just read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Then in support of this, we have the I am statements in the book of John. The I am statements. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And all of these, if you know your Old Testament, have their roots in the Old Testament. It's amazing. And it's helpful for us to understand that the Bible is one story with a multiplicity of little smaller stories. And every single one of those small stories feeds back into the larger story. It's really important to see that. Otherwise you see, oh wait, that's Old Testament. Oh, and that's New Testament. They're different. They are. And there is discontinuity, but there's also continuity. And it's really important to understand that. And we try to bring that out. You, you might not understand it in its theological terms, but you understand it in terms of appreciation and understanding of your, of your Bible, hopefully as we take opportunity to, to teach and preach the Word of God. <clears throat> John chapter 8, there's one I am statement I missed out. Did you notice? As I say it, you're like, oh yeah. But you never noticed it when I never said it though, right? I wouldn't have noticed it either. <laughs> John chapter 8, verse 58, where Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. That's, that's another one of the mind benders, right? Before Abraham was. And he wasn't talking about Abraham who lived around a corner, right? He works at the, no, that Abraham wasn't alive. He was talking about the Abraham, the father of faith back in, in the book of Genesis. Before him, I am. Wow. <clears throat> John chapter 19, verse 7, it says, the Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to the law, <clears throat> he ought to die. Why? Because he, that is Jesus, based on this Son of God talk, he was making himself out to be the Son of God. Now again, we hear that and we're like, yeah, 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 but what does that mean? Well, later on in John chapter 10, you ever had a conversation maybe with a Jehovah's Witness and... And it will always come up where you're obviously trying to help them to understand that Jesus is God. And, you know, maybe you'll quote this verse. You know what I mean? And they'll say, well, that's not what it means. Jesus wasn't actually saying that he was God in that verse, they say. And the Muslims will also say that because, obviously, vital and integral with regards to, 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 to Islam and what, and, and what it means. I mean, they've got it, they've got it inscribed around the Dome of the Rock, Right? The, the mosque of Oman in Jerusalem, right, which is on the, the, the actual same place that the temple used to be constructed. It's got on there. What does it say on there? It says, it says, it says, it says, God. Do, it says, Allah does not beget, meaning he ain't got no sons, he ain't got no children. And the twisted thing is, Muslims actually, well, Muslims who are who are who are like theologians in Islam wouldn't say this. But a regular Muslim on the street believes <clears throat> when we talk about the Trinity, they think that we're talking about Jesus, sorry, God the Father having sex with Mary and having Jesus. That's what, that's what run-of-the-mill regular Muslims think we mean when we say the Trinity. Obviously, we don't mean that. You know what I'm like, that like they say, we don't believe in that God. Well, we neither, neither do we. You know what I mean? And... And so this is really helpful because the fact that Jesus was making himself out to be the son of God did mean that he was communicating that I am God, the second member of the Trinity, right? JWs don't believe that and they'll say it's not, that's not what it means. Muslims will say they don't believe that, it's not what it means. How about, we, how about we listen to the people who lived at that time and hear what they say they think it means? Because I think that will make that, 
That would have done the argument. John chapter 10, verse 30 through 33. Jesus says, look, I and the Father are one. They will say, no, but that doesn't mean that Jesus is God. Muslim, J.W. Verse 31, the Jews picked up, wait a minute. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. You'll be like, wait a minute. If it didn't mean what, what, what we're saying it means that he is God, why are they picking up stones to stone him? When we see so many references to sons of God in the Bible, why would it be a big thing for Jews to hear another Jew say that if he wasn't saying something distinct and different? He was talking definite article. There's something different about this reference, and it's a reference to him being God. Watch, verse 32. Then Jesus answered them, Listen, all right, with stones in their hands, right? Look, I've shown you many good works from the Father, for which, for which of them are you going to stone me? Like, why, why are you going to stone like man out here? Why? And he says, verse 33, the Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Why? Because you, being a man, make yourself God. I think I tend to agree with those in the text, with reference to what they say about Jesus, as opposed to what they say others today are trying to tell us about Jesus. Superman, Superman HD, human and divine, Jesus the God-man. On the strength of that, we ought to be able to... we ought to be able to worship Jesus. When I first became a Christian, I really struggled. I had no problem worshiping God. It's because I didn't understand that. How am I going to, I'm not so sure about worshiping Jesus. He's the son of God, but boy, I, I don't really know what that means. And so let me just reserve the worship for the father, yeah? Until I understood that Jesus is God. In John chapter 20, verse 28, verse, verse 26 to 29. Verse 20 is the key verse. Eight days later, his disciples, as Jesus' disciples, were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Now, Jesus has died and he's resurrected. Everybody knows apart from Thomas. And Jesus came and, now it says, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. So, I don't think it would be unfair to suggest that Jesus either walked through the wall, or he appeared like, da-da, you know what I'm saying? Because obviously he's in a glorified body now. He can do these things. And at the same time, he can eat. Wow, lots to say. We'll get there. It says, Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Right, you never believe, right? Because you heard that I I was alive. but you never. It's all right. Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, I mean, what do you say when you see a man who you know was crucified and was dead and buried, alive and well? Standing before you, walked in the room with, no, with the doors are locked because they're shook because they think they're going to come and crucify them too, right? Doors are locked. How do you get in here? There's, there's only one response at that point. My, my Lord and my God. I remember, I remember we done a play years ago in one, probably uh, the, uh, in CCF back in the 90s. And it was so hilarious. We'd done this play, and it was about the resurrection. And this one guy, his name was, was it jo- was jo- what was his name? Ronnie. Ronnie was playing Thomas. And it's a play, right? So we had to do it over and over again, these takes and rehearsing. Over and over. So he's playing Thomas, and there's Jesus. I can't remember who was playing Jesus. There's Je- Maybe it was Neil or someone. Je- there's Jesus, and he comes in, and he sees Jesus, and he sees the hands, and, but he touch- and he, falls to his, he falls to his knees, and he says, My Lord, oh my God. He'd done that scene so many times, by the time he come to do it, <laughs> he, 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 felt, he went like this, he went, my Lord, my God, my knees. <laughs> you remember that, bruv? <sighs> it's so funny, I always remember that when I read that verse. And um, I mean, how else do you respond when you, when you understand who Jesus is? You're free to worship Jesus. Trust me. And as we go through the book, hopefully we're going to try and unpack Jesus' deity. When I tell you, John is replete, because this is is a part of his prayer. He wants you to understand who Jesus is. The third head in his life, and I'm going to try and rush this. Life. And that by believing you may have life in his name. Remember the purpose statement, right? And that in contrast, life in contrast to death. 
John 5.24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Wow. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news to know that at one time we were dead, slain by our sins and our trespasses, separated from God. The Bible says we were in the world without God. Hey, God's creation, in God's creation, without God, separated from God because of our sins, because that's what sin does. It separates us, but it also separates us from God. It's good news to know that that separation can be breached. There's a a simple picture. You might have seen it on a track. Jesus on the cross. And there's these two. There's there's, there's God's on one side and we're on the other side. Humanity is on the other side. And there's a big chasm. And the thing is, the chasm is like the Grand Canyon. It's like no matter how you try, you can't jump the Grand Canyon, right? Because the breach is too wide. But there's a picture of the cross. And Jesus is on the cross. And one end of the cross touches the God's side, another end touches our side, and God is the, Jesus is the bridge across which we actually are able to get to God. Amen. Amen. That's the gospel. That's good news for those of us that have been separated from God because of our sins. John 11, 25 and 20. Jesus said to her, this is Mary, is it Mary or his sister, Martha, in John 11, where Lazarus has died. It's bad. This is a bad time. Death. And, so, and we know that some, to, even today, are, are struggling, dealing with the issue of loved ones who have passed away, even recently. Jesus said to her, he said, he said, listen, in the face of death and in the face of what seems so terrible and devastating, Jesus says, he says, I am the resurrection and I'm the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, yet shall she live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. It says, do you believe this? And my question on the back of that is, do we believe this? But these things, the purpose statement, these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing, you might have life in his name. Do you believe this? To conclude, one of the large themes, so many of them, but one of the large themes in in this book that cannot be overlooked is that of reception and rejection. Receiving Christ, rejecting Christ. Like I said, the whole whole half of the book really is focused on Jesus' trial and the fact that there are those that reject him horribly, horrendously. Jesus came to give life. Ironically, many chose to reject Jesus instead of receiving Jesus. John 1.11, it says, He came to his own. Old King James says, but his own received him not. They did not receive. His, he came to the Jews and they didn't receive him. John 12, verse 47 and 48. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I will not judge them, says Jesus, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. John 11, 45, 53, 45, 46 and 53. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Some received, some rejected. Verse 53 said that from that day, they made plans to put him to death. John 5.25 Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. It's one category that will receive life. John 12, 37 says, Though he had done so many signs before them, some still did not believe in him. There's a category that will reject him. And the thing is, you don't have to say, I don't want Jesus. Don't come to me with that. Get out of here with that. 
pop off your cross, I'm going to punch you in the face. And you think, oh yeah, that person's rejected Jesus. Listen, that is a rejection of Jesus. But just saying, well, I'm not going to respond and you know what, I'm not really sure. I'm not, I just, I just want to think about it. That is actually a response. And it's a response of rejection. Life. <clears throat> life is what Jesus wants to give. He wants to provide. And that by believing, you might have life in his name, not death. Receive him. Don't reject him. In chapter 1, it says, To as many as received him, to them he gave the power or the right or the responsibility or the authority to become the children of God. By believing in him. And then there's a whole thing about love and I haven't got time now. I've run out of time. But <clears throat> let me just say that love is vitally important. It's another one of the key words that John uses. And to summarize it, we need faith or belief, faith that works by love. And I'll just read one of the verses. First of all, the love comes from God. First of all, we can't conjure this up. For the John 16, 27, for the Father loves for the Father himself loves you, Jesus says to the disciples, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. And then Jesus goes on to say, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. We need to have that same love in response to God's love. And on that basis... Allow the works that will glorify God to flow out of our lives. My point is, we can't work. We can do nothing. Jesus says it in John 15. Without him, we can do nothing. And we can't do it just because we want to do it. We will only be able to do it because we love him. And our love is only a response to his love. May the Lord encourage us to believe this with all of our heart and believe it with all of our life because it's not just believing it mentally. Will you believe it? Will you believe in this love that leads to life? And it's not just life, it's a special kind of life, it's eternal life. Last verse, John 17, 3. And this is eternal life. Eternal, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. May we, along with Thomas, respond <laughs> by saying, My Lord and my God. Amen. Amen. The Gospel of John. <clears throat> Let's pray. I'm going to ask the guys to come join me. Heavenly Father, thank you that like a game of tennis, you're the one that initiates everything. And you took liberty to serve in our direction. And we're so grateful that you did because you didn't need to. You did not need to. You're not lonely <coughs> because you're a triunity. Father, you have the Lord Jesus, who's the Son, eternal Son, and you have the Spirit. You all together in beautiful, perfect harmony and community. You don't, you don't need us. You're not lonely. But Lord, you are glorious. And because you want to share your beauty and your love and your life, you want to share it with us. You took the initiative. And that in spite of the fact that when you initially took the initiative with our great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather Adam and his wife Eve, our great-grandmother, you took that initiative and you gave it to them. They, they, they enjoyed it. They never, just, they, never, they, never, they never saw it from afar. They actually experienced you personally with them walking in the cool of the day in the garden, in that beautiful garden. And... They didn't appreciate it. It's like you served to them and they just stood up there and said, like, what? Like, yeah, I'm not really interested. And they walked off the court. And in spite of that, 
You've been serving bulls for the past 6,000 years. And yet, Lord, there are only going to be some that will appreciate your service. Imagine you, the great God, humble yourself in order to relate to us. And not just your creation, but your fallen creation. We've rejected you. We shake the fist at you. We spit in your face. And we whip you. And we scourge you and we hang you on a cross. That's what we think about your service to us. It's amazing. And this is the gospel. John is good news to us. Father, would you help us to appreciate that good news? And would you help us to respond? Because we can only do that by your grace as you work in us. Would you work in us? So that we might, like Moses, behold your glory. As we're going to see outworked throughout this book. The glory of the Lord Jesus. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. Would you help us to see your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. As we go through this book. Amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.